Hi, I'm Jeffrey. Welcome back to Nightfalls. Come, settle in for tonight's calming meditation and soothing bedtime story. As always, don't worry if you fall asleep before the end. You can drift off whenever you're ready. Come, join me by the fireside and get settled. Have I ever told you about the night of our midnight picnic? I'm quite sure I've yet to mention it. Tonight, let me tell you of the day Lyra first revealed Nightfall's ancient moon dial to me, and my friends and I whiled away an evening beside it trying to tell time as it would have been told centuries before the first clock tick or the sun could be trusted to rise and set at the same time each day. Before we begin, thank you to everyone who has subscribed to support the show. It's people like you who make it possible for me to tell my stories. So thank you. If you're yet to take your week's free trial of Nightfalls Premium and would like to try an elevated, even more immersive and uninterrupted sleep routine, please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts or the link in the show notes. It's also been great to read your recent reviews. Thank you especially to Susie Sleep, who recently let me know that she and her husband love falling asleep to nightfalls. I'm so glad you're both getting the sleep you need. Just before we begin, here's a quick word from our valued sponsors, who make this free content possible. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For the best way to fall asleep with Nightfalls, you can now become a premium supporter. Enjoy the entire back catalogue of Nightfalls classics, all with a rich, immersive and totally ad-free experience. If you love falling asleep to Nightfalls, Nightfalls Premium will elevate your sleep while helping to support myself and the team. We love creating Nightfalls, but without supporters, it wouldn't be possible. Join Nightfalls Premium today in just two taps on both Apple Podcasts or via the Supercast link found in the show notes for all other podcast players. Your sleep will thank you for it, and so will I. 
If you've been feeling overwhelmed with anxiety lately, try listening to a guided meditation on the Meditation for Anxiety podcast. Meditation is a proven natural way to help you calm down and dissolve stress so you can feel lighter and happier. So subscribe for free today to the Meditation for Anxiety podcast by searching for Meditation for Anxiety on your favorite podcast player. Now, let's take a moment to relax and wind down from the day. Come to a comfortable position. Let your eyes drift closed and give the full weight of your head over to the soft pillow beneath you. Let your shoulders sink and settle into the mattress supporting you. Allow your brow to soften and your tongue to fall away from the roof of your mouth before you draw a deep breath in through your nose. Hold it for a moment and release it through your mouth. This is your time to relax, to find peace, to indulge in a moment of quiet all to yourself. Take the opportunity to draw the light and power in the night sky into your body tonight. As you breathe in, Draw the silken moonlight into your body on your breath and feel it settle beneath your muscles and smooth itself across your soul, almost balm-like. As you exhale, release the heat of the day and feel it drain from your body on your out-breath. Breathing in once more, welcome the stillness and silence of the night sky into your body. As you exhale, let go of the noise that crams itself into your ears during the daylight hours. Breathe in and draw in the starlight that shines bright even from light years away. Feel it come to settle somewhere deep within you, warming you from your very core. As you exhale, give yourself over to the growing weight of exhaustion. If you're feeling ready, our story can begin. As spring made itself known across the clearing, Anwin 
had once again begun to spend more time above the surface of the water. The first buds of May were blooming, and the birdsong was in full swing as my dear friend lounged upon the soft sands of the beach. Anwen appeared to be very, very busy, stretching out so that the pure sunlight draining off the hillsides could wash across her skin. It seemed as though the mountain peaks had been dipped in golden syrup sun all day long. The sun's presence beating above us after the lengthy colder months is what had me wondering if perhaps we could build some sort of sundial in nightfalls as a celebration of the oncoming summer. I asked Anwen what she thought or if she even knew how such a thing might be done. But Anwen had never been much of a one for keeping to time. I thought perhaps that that was why she looked so perplexed at my request. Why ever would we need one? She asked, propping herself up on her elbows and squinting into the sunlight to inform me that there is already a moon dial. A what? I asked. A moon dial, she said, pushing at the vowels and pressing out her consonants in such a way that suggested she might have had a rather long winter beneath the surface of the lake with the young Rhea. She may have well have considered her moments of peace relaxing alone upon the beach as she bathed in the sunlight long overdue. It's up at the very top of the cliff, she explained courteously, trying her best to neither be short with me nor give off the impression that a lengthy conversation or company was something she was feeling open to that sunny afternoon. Where Precisely, I pressed, scratching at my moustache to help me conceal the wide smile threatening to spread across my face. Although generally I tried not to test Anwin's patience, watching my old friend bristle at the unerring stream of questions I had for her rather made me smile. It reminded me of the old days when it had just been her and I to keep each other company in nightfalls. It reminded me of the months she had spent explaining how things worked in the clearing before she went away to spend the colder months in warmer waters. It's not far from the river bank, she said, closing her eyes, settling back into the sand and doing her level best to put an end to the conversation so she could go back to relaxing. I hadn't the foggiest as to what she was referring to and I got the feeling she wasn't up to any more discussion on the matter. 
So I was glad to hear Lyra interject as she wandered down the beach towards us. It's a lot like a sundial, Lyra explained, but it was created centuries, if not thousands of years earlier. Why don't we take a trip up there tonight? She smiled. Anwen? I asked, and she cracked a single, rather discerning eye open at me as though a long walk and a late night were the last things on her mind. Perhaps we could make an evening of it? I coaxed. Perhaps we could have a midnight picnic? I suggested, feeling rather taken by the idea of eating sandwiches and sipping warm tea beneath the stars. I rather like the sound of that, Devani hummed, drawing away from the campfire and down the beach towards us. A midnight picnic it is then, Anwen relented. I'll bring Rhea along. It'll be her first time on land. But I can't imagine she'll struggle to find her feet, she preened. Unwilling to push our luck any further, the group drew away from the beach and left Anwin to relax in the sunshine for the afternoon. There was no shame in wanting a moment alone to wind down. We were just glad to have our friend back. With the plans agreed upon, I tried to gauge the group's opinions on sandwich fillings. There seemed to be a preference for strawberry jam. But Devani made a strong case for marmite and cucumber sandwiches. And I was very much willing to make them for her. Despite the fact that marmite had, as ever, split group opinion down the middle. Perhaps my thinking it was chocolate sauce when I was seven rather made my mind up. With the sun still high in the sky, I thought perhaps I might also have time to make my own blend of tea from some of the leaves growing in my allotment. I'm a big lover of tea. Nettle tea, mint tea, green tea, and months prior to that afternoon, Lyra had gifted me a handful of cuttings from her own tea plant, the Camellia sinensis, and I had taken the time to replant them in my allotment. When I first arrived in Nightfalls, I might have considered peeling the individual leaves from the plant and setting them out to dry beside the fire as legwork that I had neither the time nor energy for. But now, I had fallen in love with slow living. The hours that went into creating the things I used in my daily life connected me to nature and reminded me that I deserved the things that brought me happiness. That much of the time I had had a hand in creating them. What I had wasn't perfect. 
but it was mine. The way I spent my time was never driven by a desire to be productive, but it was always peaceful. The sound of the river flowing over the clifftop and spilling endlessly into the lake in nightfalls had drowned out much of the noise that crowded my thoughts before I arrived at the foot of that waterfall. I wanted to live slow, slow as the river, rubbing away at its grassy banks to carve out a new bend in its path. I wanted to live sloth slow and give myself time to look up, to look out into the world around me before I moved on from a moment. If time wanted to move on without me, so be it. If those that rushed to keep pace with it grew and changed and achieved quicker than me, it would be no matter. I didn't want to rush anymore. I didn't want to race. Not with myself. Not with time. And certainly not with people around me. I'd learned to live as I wanted to, at a pace that brought me peace, in a place that soothed me. It filled me with more joy than I know how to put into words that I had found a group of people who didn't see the gaps in the roof of the shelter I built for them, but the care I had taken to ensure they were warm and dry. I had found a family that would tell me they liked the tea I made for them that night, even if it was undoubtedly a little more bitter than was preferable. When I had finished picking the tea leaves, I set them out to dry by the fireside and began work on the sandwiches. The bread was a freshly baked loaf of Lyra's creation, and the jam, a concoction of my own, made from berries Devani had foraged. Preparations for the moonlit picnic had been a true group effort, and I rather liked how we had all learned to pull together. When the leaves finally felt dry beneath my fingertips, I bound them up in cotton muslin and tied the parcel off with twine. Then I dropped the tea into a cauldron of water bubbling over the campfire. When the mixture had brewed and the scent began clinging to the steam that escaped from the top of the cauldron, I fished out the muslin and poured the tea into a big flask to keep it warm. And when surfaced in the lake with young Rhea, just as the moon itself began to surface above the mountain peaks, and another long day came to an end.
Rhea had grown a great deal since we last saw her beneath the surface of the lake. She took her first tentative steps onto land, Anwin supporting her with a steady hand at her shoulder, just in case she toppled into the sand. The group gathered in support, and when it seemed that Rhea was steady enough on her feet to make the trip, Lyra led the way up the hillside towards the moon dial. Rhea had indeed found her feet fast, and for a time was making slow and steady headway up the hillside, along with the rest of the group. It was following a brief attempt to catch up to Lyra at the front of the group, by running full pelt uphill, however, that she found herself more than a little exhausted. When Anwin bundled her up into her arms and carried her the rest of the way, Rhea slept soundly. When we arrived at the top of the cliff, I took a moment to look down into nightfalls. I rather liked to imagine what Devani had seen the first day she drifted down into the falls on her kite. Had she spotted me on the beach? Or did she think she was alone until I made my introductions? Devani was just about to join me when Anwin called over to us. It's in here, she smiled, as Lyra pulled back the foliage that had obscured the sight from my view all the times I had visited that clifftop before. Lyra ushered us into the shelter of the white rose bushes that surrounded the moon dial. Devani pulled a woven blanket from her backpack and spread it out across the grass so the salmon could set Rhea down on it. I set down the picnic basket and helped Lyra down onto the blanket before making myself comfortable. Also, who I hadn't realized had followed us up from the clearing, emerged from beneath one of the rose bushes and came to settle on the blanket. The schnauzer had, rather tellingly, positioned himself between me and the picnic basket, and so I was hardly surprised when he began sniffing at its corners and pawing at the lid. The moon dial itself was a sight to behold. Even with the marrings of time having etched themselves upon it as they had, the Mundar was a great idea, Anwin began, as she came to settle on the blanket with the rest of the group. But in practice, it wasn't quite fit for a purpose. She sighed, drawing a deep breath and tipping her face up to the moon itself before she explained. The moon ought to be used to predict the seasons, and to understand the time that ticks by within us all. Women have felt an affinity with the phases of the moon for centuries. In the old world, 
the animals that gave birth and came together during the different cycles of the moon came to represent the seasons. Back then, the gap between man and nature and the mammals that hadn't the language to explain how they knew to foal or calf at certain times of the year seemed so much smaller. Perhaps you've noticed some of the ancient artwork etched into the cave walls across the mountains. It would be easy to chalk the carvings of animals and night skies up to ancient boredom. But I'd urge you to look a little closer next time you see one. For you might realize that those drawings weren't simply a way to pass the time but a way to record time by mapping where the stars were in the sky and memorizing the shape of the moon when certain events occurred in the animal kingdom. Humans could learn to predict those same events in the years to come. People could rely upon the moon to morph through the same phases every 30-odd nights and plan their lives around the lunar calendar. The copper plating of the moon dial had oxidized and was almost entirely blue-green. The circular face of it sat atop a small plinth and was dented in places that mirrored the cut-out craters of the moon above. I ran a hand over its uneven surface and wondered how much better people might have been able to see the night sky back then when the darkness was deeper than I had ever known it to be and the light from campfires and the faraway towns and cities couldn't shade us from the true colours of the night sky. Back then, the night was true. Anwin hummed rather cryptically. I haven't known the same darkness since. Sometimes at the very bottom of the lake, beyond the reeds, I can catch a moment of it. It hasn't been so dark above land in centuries. And in truth, I rather miss it, she finished. Shall we show Rhea the stars? Lyra asked, a light in her eyes, as she talked to her old friend. We shall, Anwen agreed, granting Lyra a rare, unguarded smile. The two women linked hands and closed their eyes. They drew a deep breath in together. And when their lungs were full of the power that swept across the clifftop, They threw their arms out in unison before lowering their palms to the ground. Light I hadn't known lingered over the mountains, drained from the night sky. And I saw the true darkness of the space between the stars for the first time in my life. 
Without the earth's light to cloud our view, the starlight seared through the darkness. The moon shone. It didn't glow. It didn't reflect sunlight. It was as though silver flames had crawled across its surface, burning brightest in its craters. That moonlight cast longer shadows across the clearing than I had ever seen before. The shadows were no longer shapeless smears across the canvas of the clearing. Under that blazing moonlight, they were, for the first time in centuries, truly defined, their edges crisp in the bright, unerring light of the old moon. Anwen made her way to the moon dial and ran her hands across the wedge at its center that cast the shadow marking out the minutes and hours of the day. Tonight the moon is full, so you can trust the shadows that the moon dial casts to tell the time accurately, she said. But for every day after the night of the full moon, the time displayed on the dial will run 48 minutes behind the real time. Tomorrow, the time will be the one displayed here, minus 48 minutes, and an additional 48 minutes is added to the difference for every day thereafter. She chuckled. The idea of the moon dial was a fantastic one, but in practice, it can't be considered particularly reliable. The moon was never meant to help us tell the hour. In a night sky so wide, seconds, minutes, and hours are of little consequence. The moon tells a different kind of time. When the first modern settlers on this clifftop built the moon dial, I found it hard to understand how the people who had come some 25,000 years before could have had it so right and how the knowledge of how the moon relates to the body's timing, to the Earth's timing, could have been lost in translation over the centuries. In caves all across the planet, ancient civilizations carved animals into rock faces, etching a particular number of notches next to their image to chart the months those animals could be expected to birth new life into the natural world. After a time, the animals themselves came to represent the seasons. From the cows that calved in spring, to the horses that fold in late spring, as the season began to roll into summer. Ibex goats became known as the symbol of the winter solstice for their propensity to meet their mate around the time. 
to my mind, the greatest depiction of the old world charting their lives by the lunar calendar is etched into a cave wall not far from here. I've only made a trip to see it on a handful of occasions, but I've heard tell of the artwork time and time again. The figure of a woman is carved into the stone of a cave wall, Anwin said, drawing the outline of that woman with her finger on the rug before her. Beside her is an intricate depiction of the night sky. Above her open hand were twelve notches, alluding to the monthly lunar calendar that puts order to human life. I think on occasion the carving of that woman has been explained away as early humans simply passing time with creativity. But that couldn't be further from the truth. The stars that woman is etched beside, and the moon carvings that cover the cave wall around her, are proof of how people charted their lives by phases of the moon and took the time to memorize and record the night sky as best they could. They didn't spend days cutting into coarse rock with tools simply because they wanted to. They did it because they needed to. People spent thousands of years recording what the moon looked like as the weather turned warmer, then making sure they had memorized which shape of moon might indicate a waning winter or an oncoming summer. If they knew how to predict a lighter night or a lower tide, they would be able to take advantage of it. But when no one could understand why the sun insisted on setting earlier or Later, at certain times of the year, the phases of the moon were constant for people. A guiding light that could be relied upon to appear the same way in each of its phases, year upon year. The hunter that could predict the night of the full moon when no one else had been able to, would have had the upper hand. With the full moon's light to guide them, they could double their ordinary catch. And were they the only hunter to have accurately predicted the full moon, they wouldn't have had anyone to compete with. They could spend the days leading up to the full moon preparing for the hunt, the people that came before fire, before electricity, before farming or villages or cities, charting the moon and stars was of the utmost importance. I tend to think that for all the advancements human civilization has made, for all the hours and resources that have been put into understanding the cosmos, no one has ever known the night sky better 
than those people did. Anwen sighed. As the shadow crept across the moon dial, and the time read midnight, I poured out warm cups of tea and handed around the sandwiches. What better way to end the night than with a midnight feast, I thought. The group fell quiet, save for the sound of Rhea snoring softly in Anwen's lap. Otto had curled up against Lyra's feet, and the older woman looked more than a little exhausted by the day's adventure as she laid back into the soft blanket beneath her and looked up at the night sky. With sandwiches finished, we decided we were all far too tired to make the trip back down to Nightfalls that same evening. And so my friends and I fell asleep beneath the truest iteration of the night sky I had ever seen. I leaned back into the blanket alongside Devani and closed my eyes on a moon that made promise of a winter giving way to spring.